Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. Hi, I'm Bill Bregan, Executive Artistic Director of the Arts Center at NYU Abu Dhabi. Welcome to our collaboration with the NYUAD Institute for As Far As, our, as, far as Isolation Goes, a talk with Tanya Khoury, moderated by Joanna Settle. This year, NYU Abu Dhabi celebrates its 10th year, and it's significant that the NYUAD Institute is celebrating its 12th anniversary. From the inception of the university, even before we had students, the NYUAD Institute has been bringing talks to the public from scholars, artists, researchers, and thought leaders of all types, and they really paved the way for us at the Art Center to extend that tradition. We're grateful to Philip Kennedy, Nahed Ahmed, and everyone at the Institute for their partnership. Each year, we collaborate on a few programs that feature artists from the Art Center, since our artists meet these criteria. They are makers, scholars, researchers, and thought leaders, such as today's speakers, Tanya Ohuri and Joanna Settle. We're entering the last week of a sold-out month of performances of Tanya's piece with Basil Zara, as far as isolation goes, so we're grateful to have the opportunity to be able to extend the reach of her residency through this forum. We're also grateful to our faculty colleagues at NYUAD who have intersected with Tanya's work during this virtual residency in 17 classes. For those of you who are interested in other artists who are innovating in new forms of microtheater that speak to this very particular moment we're living in, I hope you'll join the Art Center for 600 Highwaymen's A Thousand Ways Part One, which opens on October 7th. It's a telephone-based piece for two audience members at a time. And now to introduce our moderator. Joanna Settle is a theater and opera director committed to large and small scale electric existential work. Based in Abu Dhabi, she spent her creative formative years in the New York City downtown scene, working with Mabel Mines, Richard Foreman's Ontological Hysteric, Here Art Center, and the Public Theater. She's a graduate of Hampshire College and the Juilliard School. Her recent productions include Sky on Swings, a new opera about Alzheimer's disease by Lembet Beecher and Hannah Moscovich, presented by Opera Philadelphia, and Nora by Heather Raffo, presented by Shakespeare Theater of DC, Playwrights Horizon in New York City, and right here at the Art Center. Settle's direction of the collaboratively developed Al Rahil departure was commissioned by the Art Center and Cultural Foundation and premiered at the Art Center in January. The work is a contemporary performance event in Arabic and English created with Emirati poet Reem Almanhali. Joanna is an arts professor of theater and head of the theater program here at NYUAD. Please welcome my good friend and colleague, Joanna Settle. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Tanya, for being here. Thank you, Art Center and the Institute for making this work possible. Uh, I have the great pleasure of introducing Tanya. Tanya Al-Khoury, if you don't know, is a live artist creating installations and performances focused on audience interactivity and concerned with the ethical and political potential of such encounters. She's a distinguished artist in residence of theater and performance and co-director of the Masters in Human Rights and the Arts at Bard College in New York. Her work has been presented in multiple languages across six continents. She was a 2019 Soros Art Fellow and the recipient of the Bessie's Outstanding Production Award, the International Live Art Prize, the Total Theater Innovation Award, and the Arches Brick Award. 
Tanya holds a PhD in performance studies from Royal Holloway, University of London. She is associated with Forest Fringe Collective of Artists in the UK and is a co-founder of Dictaphone Group in Lebanon, a research and performance collective aiming at questioning our relationship to the city and redefining its public spaces. Tanya, hello and welcome. Hi, Joanna. Thank you, everyone, for uh, being with us and for the Art Centre for inviting me. Um, it's a great pleasure to chat with uh, Joanna, uh, whom I uh, love <laughs> and love her work and find very inspiring. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very sad that I'm not with you in person. Uh, last time I was at the Art Centre, um, this is when we all became friends and we had lots of fun. Uh, and I got to engage with uh, the communities of students and artists um, um, in a live <laughs> manner. But this is uh, good enough for now. So thanks for uh, joining us. Yeah, and welcome to the audience again. It's, it is really great to have everyone here. And Tanya, we will take you however we can get you, live, zoomed in, whatever <laughs> it takes. <laughs> um, I think maybe we can talk first about the, the journey of uh, As Far As Isolation Goes, which is currently performing at the Art Center. I first saw the piece when uh, in its, its first version, uh, As Far As My Fingertips Take Me, uh, and I know it's now in its its third iteration. Iteration. Can you talk a little bit about that and the journey of the piece? Yeah, totally. We can uh, actually show uh, a little clip of uh, the first iteration of that work uh, soon. Um, so the piece uh, started in 2016. That was my collaboration, my first collaboration with Basil Zarah who's um, a Palestinian, Syrian, now British uh, artist and musician. Um, we created uh, a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, well, actually, I was commissioned to, to make a piece for um, Lift Festival and Royal Court Theatre about the issue of migration. That was in 2016. And I thought it was, first, it wasn't my own story to tell. And second, that this is, um, as a response to the art world suddenly wanting to talk about refugees and migration, I felt it was important to think um, together that this is not um, a new contemporary issue only, that they're in the, in the context of um, an example of Palestinians, for example, there have been um, uh, refugees, uh, millions have have been made refugees and they continue to be um, as such for decades. Um, so it was important to talk about that. And uh, I uh, invited uh, Basil Zadar to uh, perform in that piece and the premise of the piece that it was a, a 10 minute intimate tactile and sonar audio um, encounter between Basil uh, as someone who is born a refugee and the audience, one audience at a time. So it's a one-on-one -on -one piece through a gallery wall. The audience is invited to stick their arm into the uh, hole in the wall and Basil touches their arm without them seeing them. So there is like kind of, there, there should be a shared trust there and also a relationship that, that is built without 
necessarily seeing each other. They listen through a pair of, a pair of headphones, um, an introduction by Basel, but also a rap song that he created, inspired by the journey that his sisters made uh, from Yermuk refugee camp in Damascus to Sweden. Um, and then at the very end, there is a possibility for them to meet on one side of the wall or not, uh, depends on people. Um, and then in 2019, last year, we were invited by another festival, the Sick of the Fringe and Welcome Trust Foundation in London to um, recreate that piece, um, and this time reflecting on the mental and physical health of refugees. So what happens to them after they made that, they make that journey? Um, when they resettle, how um, they might feel isolated because uh, the the new political or social context doesn't take into consideration their journeys, uh, their own realities, where they come from, etc. So we made an iteration of that piece where the drawing changes, uh, the wall is different, and audience is invited at the end to add their own um, thoughts on the wall. Uh, and this was due to be performed uh, to tour, continue to tour this year. And just before um, a couple of, like, just a bit before uh, it was due to go to Ireland, um, there was a lockdown um, in Ireland and the festival, gift festival, uh, asked us if we would be happy to um, do an online version of the work. Now, my own um, reaction at first, thinking like, how can we do a tactile, intimate, one-on-one -on -one piece, uh, turn it into some online version? And then continuing the conversation with Basil, we decided that it might be actually um, interesting to think about isolation now when everyone is living a sort of isolated reality because of COVID, because of uh, borders being shut, shut for very for different reasons, but it's still a sort of isolation that people are uh, living. And we um, just adapted that piece to be online, and uh, we added this uh, um, kind of link with the isolation that we now uh, live in uh, because of the pandemic. Yeah, it's such an, uh, I've seen, uh, I didn't see the, the middle version, but I've seen the, yeah. the other two and it's, it's, un, it's, un, uh, well, let's share a clip uh, that shows a little bit about that, that first version. Uh, let's see here. My name is Baz. I'm sitting on the other side of the wall. Please place your left arm in the hole, in the wall in front of you. This is me, touching your arm.
so uh it's moving again to see it it was so it's so beautiful to see what he's doing behind that wall as someone who saw the first piece to really see the the focus and the it's i mean it's him also he's such an unbelievable presence uh and you know uh communicator uh when when i when i saw the piece uh last weekend in its in its online version uh, I was like, well, how is this going to work? It was so compelling when he touched my hand. And then I had sort of messed. We had tried to make an escape from Abu Dhabi to take a, my son and I to take a, a weekend out of town. And I'd left my, left quickly and I'd left my laptop because we had to get a new COVID test and it was all discombobulated. I got my son's laptop and I logged on and, uh, and there was Russell. And it was like, oh, you know, this immediately sort of, centering considered uh it's, it's incredibly compelling and to uh for i'm sure we'll get a lot of questions about this but if you haven't seen the current running show it uh you you do i i drew on my own hand um and there's processes of drawing and erasure involved and self-representation in making the work and to to do all of that yourself was just it, it's it's so it's a different piece and it has echoes of the first, such a beautiful transformation. Uh, really congratulations. It's really, it's very special. Thank you. It's very special. Yeah. Thank you. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit. Uh, you, you mentioned in, uh, in your bio, it mentions, uh, uh, you're interested in exploring the ethics and politics of 
collaboration in your work, and it's so it's so clearly a, a major part of the audience encounters. Can you share a bit about the the nature of your work with Basil and and what values you centered in that collaboration? Yeah, so my my collaboration with Basil, I think, is at least a try for it to be a reflection of the core values that I care about in collaborative work, but also in um, interactive work. Um, all of my work is interactive. Uh, all of my work um, demands a certain kind of um, involvement of the audience. Most of the time I think about the audience as a performer. I think of the audience as a co-creator. And we can discuss the politics and ethics uh, of that at a later point. But in collaborating with another artist, but also with any person in making uh, the work, I um, some of the core values um, that I think about, um, the first is the agency of the collaborators. Um, so how can they feel that they've got agency, especially if they're representing their own story? So whose story is it to tell and how is it represented and how and um, do they feel completely comfortable with every aspect of how this um, story is being presented? Um, and then interactivity, I think of interactivity as a, as a principle. It's a balance between control and allowing some randomness to happen embracing that randomness so um in fingertips uh, as far as my fingertips take me i uh, had the image of this whole piece the concept of it and then i shared it with basil um, and i asked him if he wants to be the performer and if he wants to um, uh, create that song um, and uh, for me, this was just an invitation and I was ready to uh, allow that piece to be completely shifted um, if Basil had other ideas or wanted it to be shifted. Uh, and it did shift in various ways. I mean, the song is a big part of the piece and it was totally um, his work that I didn't have any, um, any say in it. Um, um, I think it was, in the case of Basil, it was important to position him as someone who has a balanced uh, power vis-a-vis uh, -vis the audience. So he's not a victim just because he was born a refugee. That was very important to kind of maintain some sort of dignity um, in how uh, people are presented. Uh, in fact, it's the audience who is uh, placed, if you've seen, in the spotlight. So if you actually look at the performance space, um, there is a wall, there is a text, and the audience is asked to wear a white robe, and they become part of that um, uh, scene that it's uh, created or image that it's created. And Basil has the choice to remain anonymous and invisible. Um, so it was very clear that he has the choice to meet the audience if he feels like it or not. Um, in the case of collaborating with Basil, uh, there was also a question of respecting his choice to remain uh, silent vis-a-vis uh, -vis speaking publicly. Uh, and that was a very important uh, um, element to respect. 
Um, and most importantly, I think it was to choose to, to uh, choose to co-author the work in the sequel. So we both have very equal power over how this work is presented, how it's marketed, how it's consumed, how it's spoken about. So it's no longer in, in the next collaboration, it's no longer uh, I'm making a piece where he's uh, the performer, but also that we're both co-authoring that work together. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, uh, one, one, I would add one thing is yeah. that in, in these, I mean, if we want to reflect on the ethics and politics of collaboration, it's important to think, to put it very simply, it's important to put people first before artwork, <laughs> you know, yeah. before the artwork outcome, especially when you're working in solidarity with certain communities. Um, so it's about practicing the politics that you aim for through your work. It's practicing that these politics through the process of the work and knowing that the relationship with people is the most important element of the work rather than the outcome. Yeah, and an audience feels that immediately. We know what we're in the room with. We know what we're, we know where we are and what the center is. Uh, Maybe uh, we can move on to talking about Garden Speak. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. I have a, I have a, I have a clip. I have a clip from your website. Hold on a second. So Garden Speak was the piece that, uh, for those who um, weren't there or didn't know, it was the piece that I've shown um, first at, uh, at the art center at the NYU AD and that was in um I want to say 2018 no, 18? 18? I think 18 no, no. yeah maybe. wait Bill will zoom back <laughs> in and zoom out um let me play this and I'll just let the the audience know that it's quiet at the beginning uh there's text on the screen and then later there's sound so your sound is working okay <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> أغلى من العالي مفتاح درب الأمل والأمل برجالي يا شعبي نويا بطل أفديك بعيناي يما عمول الهوى يما عمولي ضرب الخناجر ولا حكم الندليه. Huh. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how your your process on making that work and uh, and in particular that 
the the process of engaging the many communities that I know you sourced uh, the material from and partnered with in uh, what even the shape of the work might be, and and also uh, the scale of activation for the audiences in this piece is uh, really profound. So, if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, so Garden Speak um, was um, put together, I would say, in 2013 in Beirut. But it's, I often think about when did it actually start and when did it actually end, if it ever ended. Um, and it's not very um, kind of easy uh, to answer that because it's a, it has been a long project that has an afterlife, <laughs> which is a weird thing to think uh, if it tells uh, 10, uh, 10 uh, pe stories of 10 people who were killed at the beginning of the Syrian uprising. Uh, but um, yeah, so the piece um, had various layers of interactivity one interactivity we can talk about, one aspect of interactivity in the very uh, beginning of uh, collecting these oral histories, uh, interviewing various people, activists, journalists uh, who were in Syria at the time, but people who um, came to Lebanon and um, relocated at the beginning of the uprising. We had uh, big numbers of Syrian activists, but also various communities who came to Lebanon at the time. And it was about kind of trying to find these stories and uh, just understanding why um, there were cases of um, uh, gardens or public parks, burials in Syria happening. And just understanding why that was happening was very striking to me. Um, that um, kind of relationship, relationship that was happening between the dead uh, and the living, where the living wanted to protect uh, the dead by actually preserving the narrative around their death. Um, and, uh, and that relationship uh, and how sometimes in oppressive and dictatorship uh, regimes, um, the fight continue after uh, you've been uh, killed or tortured or um, or your life uh, ending by uh, kind of changing that narrative. Um, and uh, so it was, uh, for me, it was kind of, it started from a political motivation to tell these stories. And I had that image that wherever we are in the world, if we stick our um, ear to the ground, we will be able to hear the stories of people who were kind of buried in a, in, in a house kind of quickly um, in places where we don't really uh, imagine as being burial sites. Of course, being Lebanese, um, born early 80s uh, during the civil war, and um, kind of living with the, with the aftermath of that civil war and being aware or conscious that there are places that we now hang out in that uh, uh, can be uh, the site of mass graves. Um, and we're not allowed to actually dig, dig um, those graves or um, understanding uh, uh, what happened there or bring justice for these people uh, just because the same warlords 
who were part of the civil war are now uh, part of the uh, Lebanese um, regime from the uh, president of the republic to uh, any other uh, minister. So um, being conscious of that reality is very much impacted uh, how I looked at uh, the Syrian uprising happening very close um, uh, to Lebanon. I, I also come from a village on the border between Lebanon and Syria, so that connection uh, was always part of uh, my identity. So there was that uh, interactivity uh, aspect of it, to collect those stories, um, to understand what was happening. Uh, and then there was the interactivity um, and the collaboration with uh, various uh, Syrian performers and writers and musicians who happened to live in Lebanon at the time. Sadly, we lost uh, most of them who have relocated um, um, to Canada, Australia, all over the world, Europe, um, and also it's partly because of the uh, Lebanese regime pushing them out. Um, so uh, uh, in that, in 2013, the art scene in Beirut was very different because of the presence of uh, Syrian artists and activists, actually. Um, so we've created, we've put in, we've turned these oral histories into um, stories uh, they were written first in Syrian dialect. Um, they were um, recorded. Um, we've added some uh, real foot sound uh, that we were able to um, collect. Um, and then uh, the piece toured. And then we could talk about the interactivity with various audiences around the world with that piece, because that piece functions without any performers. It's the audience who walk in and transform an otherwise uh, installation into a live performance with their bodies, with their presence, uh, with them walking around that space, finding. Um, the tombstone that they uh, um, each listen to one story, so they each go and find that tombstone. They dig with their own hand in the dirt, uh, and then they get their, they put their ear to the ground. They listen to the story told in the first person, and they make that link, that relationship um, with that uh, person who is no longer uh, with us. Um, so, yeah, so we could, uh, uh, the piece was um, translated into various different languages around the world. Um, and I mean, then there was, I just want to add that uh, then the books, uh, then the stories, uh, the oral histories were turned into a book um, that is published both in Arabic and in English. Uh, and uh, at the very end of the performance, if you've seen in a video, people write, uh, like write a letter back to the person that they heard the stories and they um, bury it in the ground. And these letters, uh, I mean, there were thousands and thousands of them written in all different languages. It was also transformed into uh, um, an installation where I share all of these uh, letters um, so people can come in and and. Um, look at them and read some of them. And I think it's just, um, it, it's a beautiful um, 
just kind of share of solidarity uh, with people from around uh, the world. So there is, we can discuss um, the afterlife of that uh, piece after, uh, so it's not just the, the, the performance itself, but um, how it, the, before the performance and after the performance, it continued to exist in various uh, ways. And I'd like, and I like to think about interactivity not only with the audience but with various communities and people. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really beautiful to hear you talk about the the process of making the work also being a process of trying to understand the scale and nature of the the situation and connect with it. Um, in as many ways as possible. As an, as an audience member, we we know that there are more stories than we get to hear. We know that we're hearing we're hearing one story, but there are all of these other stories around us, and we we lay down in the dirt, and we form a single bond uh, that's really profound. Uh, but we we know we haven't grasped the whole thing. We get to get close to one part, um, but we can't, you can't, it feels like a piece that you can't hold the whole piece while you're attending it. It, it makes perfect sense that it would overflow into the exhibit. And even at the exhibit, I remember you uh, telling me that there were some letters that had been seized in one location and that, so you, you know, so you have this, the letters are overflowing uh, in the exhibit, and it and there's, uh, it's incre- It's an incredibly in the end. It's an incredibly generous work. Uh, it's yeah. Really those letters for those who are interested are have been confiscated by the Tunisian police, and they continue to be. Boxes of letters were confiscated by the Tunisian police, who mistake them. Was, took them for being um, just like propaganda uh, letters written by some, I don't know, like uh, Islamist uh, fighters in Syria to uh, invite Tunisian um, young men to go and fight in Syria. (laughs) I mean, they they understood that it was uh, from an art project at the end, but they continued to uh, just confiscate the letters. I mean, you, uh, the audience are the performers, but you do have your collaborator who's there to, to guide us into uh, the work and get us into our raincoats and our boots, but also uh, introduce us to the, to the idea, uh, to invite us to generally, generously consider the piece. And it, it, it is really um, the, the way that you are able, I think, to take your curiosity that, that starts these works and feed them into the piece and give that curiosity and love really to the audience is, uh, is profound in combination with the, with the subjects. It's really, it's really meaningful. It's, now I'm just writing a fan letter, but I have to say that watching that clip again is really something. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wonder, um, did you have more you wanted to talk about with that piece or? Uh, no, just to mention, because you mentioned the audience guide and I often think about the audience guide is audience guide, the performer. Um, yeah. Is she uh, not a performer? <laughs> uh, and I just think about audience guide as, I mean, I've later used, I've 
uh, used audience guide um, as well in my latest work called Culture Exchange Rate, which is my uh, most uh, autobiographical or personal work um, to, to the day. Um, and, um, and I think about the audience guide just as uh, people who would, well, guide the audience, <laughs> who would make sure that uh, the audience know that this is an invitation rather than uh, a rule. So it's not just kind of a, a set of rules that you have to follow. Otherwise, uh, the piece will not be um, presented for you. But they understand that they have agency again. It's a word that I um, use a lot when talking about uh, the work that, I'm, uh, that I uh, care about. And I think um, it's important to communicate instructions in a clear way but also um, offering a space or creating a space in which the audience know that they can shift a little bit. So if the audience don't feel that they can touch the ground, um, they have you know, various capabilities in their bodies, uh, um, they are emotionally uh, touched in a way that they can't... Um, um, just perform these uh, instructions and they uh, would like to um, shift it a little bit in a way that they feel comfortable that uh, the audience guide are there to actually support them doing that. It's like a um, human contact <laughs> with the work. Yeah, and I understand as an audience member that I'm not anonymous. I'm not part of a mass. I'm seen. The, perform the, the event sees me, actually me. And brings me inside the event. It's quite, and I also remember when Garden Speak was uh, at uh, Garden Speak was at the Art Center that your version of a talkback was to sit uh, on the modulus outside uh, the event as the audiences of ten came out and just be present, just hang out uh, and see if anyone wanted to talk. And it was no pressure, and we're all just sitting. There was nothing formal about it it was just an opportunity to connect um, totally yeah it's really nice mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so I want to I want to talk a little bit uh, about our students our NYU Abu Dhabi students uh, the student body as you know comes from more than 120 countries and for many of our students the center of their creative work moves between and among multiple home sensibilities. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, the many places you sort, source your work from and how these influences sort of forged and challenged you as you were finding your voice as an artist? Yeah, totally. I, and it's, uh, it's a conversation in which I'd like to hear from your student uh, more about their own experiences in that. Um, I mean, as artists, we find ourselves working internationally and working most of the time uh, where we're invited, <laughs> you know, in, um, in the example of Lebanese artists, for example, because we have um, very little... I'd say non-existent public funding for the arts and very limited private funding. 
many Lebanese artists tend to uh, work internationally um, where they can uh, get commissions and where they can um, offer residencies and uh, funding to make work. Um, so, uh, uh, and we, because of that, we battle with um, translation. We battle with how our work can be geographically specific if we need it to be, but at the same time, be understood globally. And we battle with the question of who is our audience or how do we um, kind of create work that it's not necessarily made for the uh, privileged art-goer um, gaze. Um, how do we not present ourselves as the ultimate, uh, um, you know, uh, victims, even though sometimes uh, it is the case that there are victims of uh, oppression? Um, so, and how do we continue? And this is a question that it's um, relevant worldwide. How do we make work that it's very specific, that is very personal? At the same time, it's global, it's international, it's... Uh, um, political. Um, we know that the personal is political, uh, but how um, how how is it relevant uh, to the whole world without it uh, being just made for the outside eye gaze? You know, um, and uh, there are various ways of doing that. Obviously, language is a big important of that uh, uh, element of that. Um, I personally. Um, try to think about the site. So I start, I've created lots of work that are site specific. Um, and when you do that, when you work with the site, you uh, have to engage with the politics of the site. And when you engage with the politics of the site, you're engaging with who are the users of that site, uh, who feels that they are uh, invited or excluded from that site. Uh, who uses it, who uh, surveils that site, who controls it, etc. So once you um, battle with these questions and you engage with the politics of the site, you're engaging site specifically and you're uh, grounding your work with uh, the locality where you are. Um, so um, another way of uh, or another um, idea or notion to think about in relation to uh, working internationally is uh, collaborators. Um, in various places, you're collaborating with uh, different people. Um, I gave the example of creating work in Beirut in 2013, uh, how that impacted my work because uh, everyone around us in terms of collaborators and uh, people who we were seeing every day were Syrian activists and, um, and artists. So that impacted uh, my work because the collaborations were, uh, collaborators were who they were. Um, when I worked in Tunis and I chose to, for example, to work with a women's shelter in the old Medina, that obviously shifted the work completely because you're working with um, uh, that site and the politics of that site, but also with that specific uh, group of people with that community. Um, so that, that that's my, um, um, you know, that's my answer to your question is to think 
um, about the site and the politics of that site and to think about who can you collaborate with in various locations. And these two uh, things will uh, impact and affect the work. It's really excellent advice. Um, because your advice uh, suggests to not get distracted in uh, uh, what the audience wants. To not get distracted by an imagination, an imagining of what the audience might be ready for or want or, how, you know, but to stay uh, in touch with what you are, where you are and who you have and build from there. Totally. And not to uh, be very, uh, like, not to predetermine who the audience will be and what they will uh, feel. I think this is a very important um, uh, idea to kind of keep uh, uh, when creating or to, to remember when creating work that to allow audience to surprise us with their um, reaction or with their, um, what they bring to the work rather than predetermined from the beginning, I'm going to make work. Uh, that will be seen by this community and this is how I want them to feel and see and understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we mustn't underestimate the audience. It's, it's, uh, they are as complicated and filled with contradictions and things we don't expect as, as we are. Uh, it's, there's no, uh, they're reading something you don't think they're reading and they're ta having conversations you don't think they're having and they're listening to music you don't expect and they're ready for your work. Uh, maybe we should move to questions. Let's see what we have in here. Can you see the Q&A, Tanya, or is it just me? Yeah, I thought that I started reading them. Sorry. You started reading. Do you? Interesting question about how artistic expression might enable uh, a resiliency or a hope uh, when engaging subjects that, you know, maybe we can do something the news can't. Maybe there's something totally, about Yeah, of know. course. Yeah, of course, because, I mean, the news don't really tell the stories of ordinary people, uh, how um, events uh, are uh, usually told from the point of view of the most powerful, but also uh, events are told in a way that uh, just erases, completely erases the experiences, the dreams, uh, the hopes of just ordinary people, whoever they are, whether they are, um, uh, they've done some heroic act, they were involved politically, they were good citizens, or they're not. Um, mm. uh, these stories are not told. And I think this is where oral history as a practice um, is important because it tells the history mm. from below. Um, and it just uh, um, kind of uh, corrects that uh, um, that mistake in what uh, that humanity does in not uh, in dismissing the stories of ordinary people, and this is where art comes to kind of take that oral history and make it more accessible, uh, create it. Uh, so because oral history also as a practice can be 
um, just a collection of words or uh, recorded testimonies that live somewhere either in just in academic circles or in some kind of uh, library. So art um, can be used to... Um, uh, to transform that oral history um, recordings into a more accessible uh, telling of stories and histories. I see. Yes. Uh, I see an, uh, another question here about how you navigate the dangers that are posed, both real dangers and societal, uh, that making art is... Make it, when making art that's more explicitly political, what do you what do you worry yeah, about? Yeah, I think do this. Uh, uh, I think this is this is this shifts um, where um, depending on where you're making the work and how mm. you're presenting the work. I think in my uh, case, I didn't really. Uh, battle real dangers just had like few hate emails some couple of uh, ridiculous death threats uh, uh, but nothing really um, serious I would say I mean obviously death threats are to be taken seriously don't don't uh, don't learn from me but um, I wouldn't say there were real dangers uh, because of where I am but also because of how uh, the work is presented. The work is not presented as a spectacle um, uh, that actually is made to shock people and to create um, a shocking message. Uh, it's presented in a very um, caring, uh, almost like, you know, um, paying respect, uh, mourning uh, those who uh, were killed. Um, and I'd say even if you are from uh, a very different political view and you come to that place, uh, unless you're a complete monster, <laughs> you're not um, actually you, you you don't reject it um, because it, it's not a it's not propaganda. It's it's actually telling stories of ordinary people. And even some of these stories, I don't necessarily. Um, What's the word? Like I, I uh, don't agree with the, with um, all the acts that right. all these people uh, have decided. These are ordinary people, you know. If if they were uh, alive, talking in conversation with me, I would disagree with them and agree with very uh, with them with other people or with them on other issues. Um, so they're just ordinary people who have their. Um, mistakes and uh, uh, good sides uh, and it's about just telling that story so I would say in in how my work is presented or the type of work form that I'm interested in it is not uh, does not call for a very um, uh, kind of clashing um, response um, and that's how I navigated it it's a really good point you make about uh, the 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 art making space being a place where we can lift forward divergent ideas encountering each other. We don't have to present a thesis. We don't have to we we can present ideas. You know the 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 idea that we can agree with is divergent voices coming together. 
Totally, but it's not about uh, uh, presenting a balanced report. So it's not about kind of working in a media where we're saying, well, there are good people and bad people on both sides. You know, the dictators are okay and the uh, uh, people who wanted their freedom are okay and bad. You know, it's not that. I mean, I clearly come uh, uh, with solidarity with people who chose to... Uh, have political change wherever they are and call for freedom wherever they are in the world. Um, and that piece start, like that piece was created at the very beginning of the Syrian uprising where it wasn't even a war. It wasn't even um, uh, an armed uh, uh, struggle at the beginning. It was just people with their uh, bare bodies uh, and facing 40 years of dictatorship. And... Um, for me, it was, um, uh, I, I clearly come uh, from a political motivation and clearly with one side of this, um, uh, you know, of <laughs> that uh, uh, conflict. But um, at the same time, as you said, Joanna, it's a place that it's not um, aggressive in how it's presented its political ideas, but it's way more subtle it's presenting people's stories rather than just spoon feeding you that these are uh, just victims of a brutal dictatorship. It, it's just it understand that the mere um, the mere act of telling people's stories is an act of resistance. Yes. Um, we have a question about uh, wondering if you can reflect on your work with the Dictaphone Group Collective in Beirut uh, and your critical interventions in public spaces. Do you consider these public interventions as a form of urban activism? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't. I do, we don't present it as uh, as such. We present it as um, we present the collective Dictaphone Group as um, research and performance collective. Uh, but we've met as uh, people who are interested in urban activism, uh, and we definitely use tools that we use as activists in, on urban issues. We use tools that can be considered as info activism. Uh, because we're presenting, we're mapping uh, new information and presenting information that hasn't been uh, spread widely before or publicly. Um, so yeah, de- definitely there is an intersection there, but we don't present it as such for the same reason that this is um, not made in a way to to create that spectacle in uh, in uh, in a public space, but to be very subtle about it to invite. So sometimes it takes the shape of a of a tour, like a walk tour, uh, a tour on a boat. Um, so if you look at it uh, from a distance, you just see a group of people doing a tour in the city. But actually, slowly when you're into it, you understand uh, that this um, uh, is uh, doing many things with a political potential. For example, uh, sharing those information that weren't shared before. Um, being present in um, in spaces where our bodies are not welcome to be present, uh, appearing in those spaces, um, uh, building a collective memory with spaces that are contested that they uh, that they are threatened to be shut 
shut, uh, closed uh, from the public, and how that public, how that collective memory with that space actually will end up forming uh, a resistance against the closure of that space. Um, uh, you could you could um, watch some videos of Dictaphone Group online and on dictaphonegroup.com. Uh, we also um, tend to present the research findings in a booklet, like designed booklets uh, that are very um, easy to follow and accessible. We make sure that these are presented in Arabic first because uh, uh, it's very important that um, knowledge is produced in a local uh, language for us, even if it's uh, academic knowledge or can be seen as academic knowledge. It's presented in language that everyone can understand and everyone can read. And then it can be translated into uh, English at a later point. Um, so Dictaphone Group was like some of other things to think about in, in terms of Dictaphone Group values is that uh, intersection between urban research and um, live performance, uh, accessibility uh, and production of knowledge, and also mm. to not be, um, to think outside institutionalized art and outside of the centrality of the capital. Because uh, most of the art uh, or contemporary art in Lebanon happens in, in uh Beirut and in um, uh, art institutions, um, we tend to make work that happens in the public space that everyone uh, is welcome to that exists after the performance and exists in a way that it's accessible and open, um, open access to people um, online and in various uh, uh, ways through these booklets, sound pieces, etc. And that is not just centered around the capital, uh, but happens in um, various cities in Lebanon as well. I mean, my experience on a dictaphone tour, uh, it, it's profoundly effective what what you do with your colleagues uh, because it, we, so we went out on a boat out into the water and there's, you know, the magic of site-specific work is that your body has a memory of being in a place and that, that, that kind of place, being outside, being in the ground, being in a basement, being in a field, your, your body responds to that and your mind begins to think the kind of thoughts that you have when you're in a place like that. It's different. So we're out on the water and it's, it's beautiful to go out on the water. You have to step into a boat and you have to help people get into a boat and the boat's kind of small and then you're on the water and the water's rocking and Beirut is beautiful and we're out on the water in that place that you're, you know, okay, <laughs> in that place. And then we look at the shore and we consider that the, the beaches are supposed to be accessible to everyone and they're not right now. And we're, now we're, we're in this open place that we're in when we're on the water and we're thinking about these things. And I've never, honestly, since, uh, since that little boat ride uh, and, and tour, I've never seen a shoreline the same way again. As you think about, it's true, as you think about who has access uh, and, and that, the power of place where I had access being considered to look at that, it's really, it's, it's super effective. Um, we're having some questions about the, the Zoom environment 
as a location. Uh, and I, I wonder if you can if you can talk a little bit about about making work online and uh, you know maybe reflect on the contemporary moment uh, with all of the pandemic related restrictions challenging the way that we previously understood performance and audience and theater. I wonder how you think about live art in this moment or if it's shifted or. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I don't have a lot to um, add to the conversation on the Zoom and what does it add and take. I would just say that uh, um, I uh, like to work with um, obstructions. Um, I like the challenge of um, being forced to be innovative uh, in the form because I, innovation is a big uh, part of um, the work that I'm interested in creating, but also that I enjoy uh, as an audience member. So um, to work with that obstruction or constraint on how to turn um, just the kind of um, an online space into an intimate space uh, something that I uh, would find um, interesting as a challenge. And I tried to do it uh, with this piece. And if I had to do other pieces, I would uh, also think about that. Um, in terms of the moment, yeah, I mean, um, the pandemic have turned an already precarious uh space for art workers into a devastating uh, place where many artists are struggling to survive, especially people who um, just rely on uh, continuous production and touring. Uh, and I think there is an opportunity right now to reflect on uh, that industry and how it functions and maybe to um, uh, try to create a more sustainable um, uh, way of uh, being an artist, uh, working in performance, working in any sort of event, even as musicians. Um, I don't think it is uh, healthy or sustainable to continue to just be uh, uh, trotting the globe to be able to survive um, or uh, to just uh, continue to overproduce all the time, creating new work all the time, but maybe think about slow, um, slow art, uh, that it's um, uh, <laughs> maybe it's research-based that uh, allow us to create deep inquiries uh, rather than just produce and produce and tour around the world um, at festivals. I know we all miss that, and I've, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an avid traveler, and uh, uh, I love my life uh, just uh, jumping from one festival to another. But actually being forced to be in one place for almost a year now uh, made me kind of reflect on whether this is sustainable to continue to do that and whether we should find art uh, policies um, that uh, support people, support these uh, silent moments, these inquiry times uh, where we can just, um, uh, you know, uh, not produce and uh, reflect on our careers and uh, um, just engage uh, deeply with uh, new ideas. I totally agree. 
Just totally agree. And I, uh, although I am a little nutty to not be traveling around, uh, it's strange to be still because the the whole sustainability of a mid-career artist in this field is moving. Uh, And it's, uh, it's, it's, to think about what the pra- the daily what the practice is when the practice isn't how how do you practice as an artist when your practice isn't always being late for somewhere or packing your suitcase or arriving just when you need to and then leaving just before you want to and coming home a little later than you should and you know but to actually be still and uh, find find what you do discover what you do I read different things. I think different thoughts. It's a really different time. And it's, um, yeah, it's profoundly valuable. Totally. Uh, there's a question about Garden Speaks that I think um, is, a, is a really wonderful process question about how you find uh, and approach the people you interview or the people who carry the stories you want to tell. And are they always ready to share their stories? How do you how do you navigate that space? And there was another super interesting question around what if you want to tell your story for a certain audience, but they're not the audience you have? What if you're if you're really wanting to speak to people that you may not reach for whatever reason of geography? And so how do you find and collect the stories and then where yeah. do you go with that? So maybe? I I I um I try to convey this idea that I um, uh, use interactivity as a practice, um, that it's on the various uh, layers of the work. Um, It's a very clear notion for me, but I'm not sure if I communicate it uh, clearly to people. Uh, For me, interactivity is a research engine that starts from uh, researching the work to present in it. And uh, while researching the work in that in that particular um, project, it's about um, uh, making a kind of conveying interviews with people. And I think about it as an interactive, almost one-on-one uh, um, performance where, uh, you know, I, I try to practice the same... Um, values that I care about in one-on-one performances and that's shared vulnerability, shared care, um, where the the person that I'm interviewing uh, know that they have agency in how the stories are being told, know that they can interrupt the process and shift it, know that they can decide. I've had various examples where people say, "Uh, sorry, sorry, please do not put this. I changed my mind. I'm not I'm no longer comfortable in that. Um, in, in an example of Garden Speak, there are moments where uh, people told the stories. We went back and wrote um, the story in the first person and then send it back uh, to the people who um, we've interviewed so they can uh, check it, see if they're comfortable with it, um, and maybe makes, even propose some edits. Can you repeat the second part if I didn't answer it? Yeah, it was just a question. I know I, uh, I, it's anonymously submitted, but I just... Oh. 
just closing my door. I'm hiding from my daughter. Uh, no, I love it. I know we're running out of time. I can't. I can't <laughs> imagine Lael's going to make it much longer. Going to uh, give me my food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, often the opportunities come where your audience isn't, depending on what the home base for the source of that particular work is. And it can, you know, the the, the question about how much to translate yourself, how much to imagine the other audience and see what these people who don't have those shared experiences who are your audience see what happens yeah. it's it's yeah, tricky yeah, to I, find I, your feeling yeah, I, I know what you mean yeah yeah and I just I, I don't know how to answer this question to be honest because I push myself to not think about audience uh, as identity so I I think about audience as performance in a way that who I always ask, who are my audience? And it's never like, oh, this uh, particular um, identity of people, uh, these kind of middle age, middle class, uh, white, or any sort of uh, uh, race, ethnicity, all, uh, all of that nationality. I try to think about my audience. For example, in Garden Speak, who is my audience? My audience are a group of people who are coming to visit the graves of their loved ones. So they are performing that, their friends and families of those deceased. This is how I think about them. And that way, they are. They choose to perform um, that role uh, however they wish to perform that role. Um, and this allows for these audience to be whoever they, they are. You know, they could be... Uh, from uh, like Australia, where that piece is, uh, has been presented, to Tunisia, where it was, I'm choosing the first, uh, the very first uh, uh, show and the very last uh, show. Uh, they could be, um, yeah, whoever they are, um, but they are uh, performing that role that I'm, um, uh, that I invited them to perform. And I found that uh, kind of useful for me. I don't know if it's useful for the other people, but I try, I try, I force myself not to think about people as identities because it just doesn't work uh, that much for me. Thank you. We have a question about whether or not there, are there other, can you talk about, uh, are there other Lebanese artists who you feel your work is in conversation with? Uh... It's hard for me to say that there are so many uh, Lebanese artists that I like and that I um, uh, that I'm interested in, but not necessarily that my work is in conversation with because uh, my work is um, uh, I guess it uses a form that it's not that common in Lebanon and sadly not common in in the Arab world. Um, and it does its own thing. I, I, my work is in conversation with many um, activists, uh, urban activists, and people who work on the intersection of art and politics in Lebanon, feminist uh, and queer artists that uh, are in Beirut, for example, and there's a, a whole list of them. Uh, but the form is not necessarily um, um, a common form, I would say. Thank you. Uh, one last question. 
if that's okay with you, Tanya, is that okay? Do we have time for one more? The, the question is, are there elements or issues that you've consciously chosen to keep out of your art? And then, you, then the person wants to know what are these things, which maybe you don't have to say. Uh, and, but, and why have you chosen to keep them private? If there's, if there's elements of your work that you decide to keep private. Uh, no, I don't. I, I can't think of anything that uh, elements of my work, or is it subjects that I uh, can't put in my work? Can't, I, I I don't really understand the question. Is it like if I if I am doing any sort of self censoring? Uh, I would say no. I haven't done any self censoring related to me um, as a person. Uh, it's more not really censoring, but kind of omitting things from my work uh, just to preserve whether the safety of people who are telling their stories, if they choose to be anonymous, um, we anonymize names, uh, or if they change their mind about uh, certain elements of the stories, uh, these I, uh, were uh, omitted from the work. Great, thank you. Thank you, Tanya. I think we are at time. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, thank Joanna. You. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, uh, I mean, you know that we talk quite often, but it's uh, <laughs> nice to talk publicly and professionally, not about uh, life and work and uh, love and motherhood and uh, yeah, yeah. everything else we talk about. <laughs> well, it's a complete pleasure. And even though I'm in the Zoom and I'm your moderator, I'm and it's being recorded, and it'll be on a YouTube channel. I'm taking notes uh, because I uh, it's 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 really a pleasure to hear how uh, you think about making work. It's really a pleasure. It's an absolute treat. And to the audience, the, our viewing audience, I'm so sorry we didn't get to all the questions. There are a lot of them, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Tanya and I both really appreciate your time uh, and your thoughtfulness because every every question in this Q and A uh, is uh, a, a profoundly caring consideration of how to bring stories forward, how to bring yourself forward, how to create community, how we work together to build the body of stories we want. It's honestly the Q and A itself. I hope is. Uh, published somewhere because you all are really thinking about what you want to do and how you might want to do it with care uh, and purpose and that's it's a real it's a real pleasure to read the Q&A actually so uh, thank you Tanya thank you everyone thank you for being with us you've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute you'll find more information on our website www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute.